Welcome to Alchemy Uncensored, a podcast presented by Alchemy Search, a team of professional financial and tax recruiters. Our podcast is dedicated to providing valuable insights into the financial and tax sector of the UE by discussing the challenges and opportunities faced by employers and job seekers. Alchemy Uncensored is the perfect podcast for those looking to gain a competitive edge in the finance, accounting and tax industry of the UE. Stay informed on the latest job market trends, developments and conversations to stay ahead of the game. Tune into our podcast to be part of this insightful conversation. Hello, fellow alchemists. Thank you for listening to the podcast thus far. 2024, big year ahead. The one favor I would ask, if you can, if you're enjoying what you're listening to, is to press the follow and subscribe button on whatever media platform you listen to us, as it helps us grow our network and grow the podcast. So thank you and enjoy the podcast today. In today's episode of our tax series podcast, I'm excited to welcome and chat with Stuart Ramsey. Stuart has nearly 16 years of experience working in tax and has spent the last 10 of those years in the UAE. Currently, he is a director and the head of tax for the Dubizzle Group. Formed as EMPG in 2020, the Dubizzle Group is the largest online classifieds player in emerging markets, operating four bespoke brands, Dubizzle and Bayut in the UAE and wider MENA region, as well as Zameen.com and OLX in Pakistan. Prior to his current role, Stuart spent seven years as Group Tax Manager for DP World, a globally integrated ports, terminals, marine services, logistics and technology provider, and he was based at their head office in Dubai. Prior to his role at DP World, Stuart was an M&A tax manager at PwC, having joined the Big Four firm as a graduate in 2008 and spending the early part of his career in the UK, where he qualified as a chartered accountant before relocating to Dubai in 2014. Hi, Stuart. Welcome to the podcast. I'm really excited to have you on today. Um, so I know you've been in your role for a year and a half, but I just want to say congratulations. You are the head of tax at Dubizzle Group, which is a pretty big deal. Thank you very much, Pooja. Thanks for having me. I love what you've done with the place. Thanks. Um, really, it's a pleasure to be here and to talk to you. Thanks for having me. Oh, no worries. Um, so I'm really excited about today's podcast because what I really want listeners to go away with is having some insight about working in-house in a tax role. We've heard from consultants about, you know, life on that side of the desk, but I want to now hear life on the other side of the desk when you are in an in-house tax role. And I think you know, you have amazing experience, especially in the UAE. You've worked seven years at DP World and now a year and a half at Dubizzle. So, yeah, I think that's the agenda for today, giving some insights into an in-house role and tips for any candidates who are thinking of moving from consultancy mm -hmm. to industry. Yeah, it sounds good to me. I'm cool. happy to have a chat. So as many tax professionals, you started your career in a big four mm -hmm. or a consultancy. So you started at PwC in Glasgow? In Glasgow, yep. Okay. That was 2008. Wow, long time ago. It feels like a, a short time ago, but it is a long time ago, or it feels like a short time ago, but it, I, honestly, it's it's crazy to think that um, I've been in UE for 10 years. Yeah. And then there was so many years before that working at PwC in, in, in the UK. Um, I don't know where the time's gone. Time goes I don't fast. feel that old. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we disclose your age? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Let's not do that. Um, 
So you started at PwC in 2008. You moved across with PwC to Dubai in 2014 and you were in the M&A tax team. So what made you think moving to Dubai mm. in 2014 to do tax in a country where there's no tax would be a good <laughs> idea at that point in your career? It was kind of a perfect storm, I think. There was, you know, I'd done seven or so years in the UK things felt a little bit stagnant for me, you know, the same uh, office, the same day-to-day -day routine. Um, not that I wasn't challenged, but I just felt like I, I really wanted to see something different. Mm -hmm. And it was, for me, that was moving somewhere, whether that be London or US, Australia. Mm -hmm. It could have been any of those places. Okay. I just wanted to change things up, um, maybe get away from the Scottish weather a little yeah. bit, although I miss it now. Really? But, yeah, of course. <laughs> but... Um, You know, that was what I needed. And at the time, actually, PwC UK owned the firm in the Middle East and was yeah. kind of uh, developing the firm in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. And so there was a lot of talk and chat about possible roles in the Middle East to build up the team. And I, and I decided to come out here on holiday, meet a few of the partners and just see how they felt about things. And, and those, those meetings went well. And I, I came back to Scotland I was on the plane, I remember flying home thinking, you know, yeah, I, I, one, I enjoyed my holiday, I enjoyed the city, I enjoyed the country. I, I think I came and I ran a half marathon in Abu Dhabi on my really? holiday. And I just That's had a bit such crazy. a, yeah, it was a bit crazy. And, and the night before I did not prepare well at all. Like I, I really, um, you know, winged it for this race. And then I just had such a good experience doing that and doing other things in the country. that I was flying home just thinking, yeah, I want to come back. Amazing. And I think uh, three and a half months later, I moved out here. Wow. And It took a few months. Ten years to later, just, you're still here. Exactly. And when you come out here, I think everyone comes out here and they say, yeah, it's three years or two years and I'll just taste it and then yeah. I'll go back to my home country. Um, but many of us, that 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 doesn't that doesn't work out and you get locked in get locked to the luxuries in. that Dubai offer you or the UAE offer you yeah not paying tax and and the luxuries that you enjoy and the lifestyle and the weather yeah and and various benefits of the city you know it's clean and it's low crime and yeah. you know I think we all quite enjoy um being expats out here yeah exactly okay great so yeah you started your career in the UAE at PwC. How long did you spend at PwC before you started exploring options, um, industry options? And at that point, mm -hmm. sorry, um, were there many industry roles going because we didn't have tax here back yep. then and yep. DP World is a large organization with a tax team. So how did how did that come about? Yeah, I mean, you've, you've hit the nail on the head. There, there was only really a tax team or a tax person in-house in any of the big multinationals out here if they were multinationals you know the the local groups didn't have a tax person um the 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 kind of uae or even gcc only businesses didn't have a tax person really um any kind of non-ue tax was dealt with by finance people yeah. um but the big multinationals had had tax teams um And you're right, you know, when you thought about who were they, they were the Sovereign Wealth Funds, they were DP World, um, they were Emirates, uh, and they were, you know, a few others that had mm. interests maybe starting in the UAE, but had spread into India, Pakistan, Egypt, 
um, and maybe further afield than that. So those were the only real options. So the, the tax rules 10 years ago were kind of few and far between. Um, and I I have to say, I, I, I'm not sure I was looking to move in-house. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd spent 18 months working in M&A. And, and as you know, M&A tax, M&A anything is quite intensive work, especially mm-hmm. in in a big four. So, you know, there was a, a there was an intensity about it. There was there was long hours, of course. Um, I don't look back and, and feel any regret about those long hours. You know, they were a great experience yeah. and it was hard work and it was a great team. Um, but I think, you know, the DP World role kind of came to me rather than me finding it. Oh, wow. And I was really just kind of, you know, I knew this is, you know, I kind of referred to it as one of the crown jewels of the Dubai government. It's DP World and it's Emirates, right? And they both have um, similar sizes of business. And I just thought I can't really, you know, Turn let this down, yeah. this go past me. Um, so I met with them. I had I had like a three quarters day of interviews with them. Really? Um, and it just all clicked. And okay. I. Do you, do you remember the interview process for that role? Yeah, I mean, I, I remember going in around quarter to nine in the morning and leaving around half two. Okay. Was it just one day of interviews? Yeah, one day. I think okay. I met maybe um, eight, nine people. Okay. Um, and when I look back, you know, that should have been a very daunting experience. But, you know, you just it's just like today, you know, we just have a chat. Yeah. Um, you chat about what you've done. You chat about exactly. what you want to do. Um, and, and that seems to have worked for me at interviews. Um, and I also, if I jump forward in time to the Dubizel uh, move, mm. uh, I had similar interviews, you know, with, with the CEO and the CFO. And I just approached them as having a, a good chat. You know, obviously you want to present yourself well mm-hmm. and your experience well, but just keep a calmness and have a nice chat. Be be a likable person Yeah. Um, if you're not already. <laughs> and usually that works in interviews. Yeah. yeah. No, I think that's really good advice. Um, you know, when any candidate goes for an interview, it's, it's you know, you have candidates with similar profiles, but the candidate that gets the job in the end is the person who clicks with the interviewer or the different stakeholders internally that they meet in an interview process. Yeah. You know, you have to be likable and that the interviewer has to see you working well with them. So definitely um, you are a very likable person. So. I, th- I think there's also like a level of confidence that's just right. And yeah. I know that sounds very daunting, but, you know, if you're overconfident, it, it can come off quite badly yeah. in an interview situation if you act like you know everything. Yeah. Uh, but if you're very, very shy and very, very quiet, then also obviously that doesn't look so good either. So yeah. there's just finding or or almost training yourself to have that just yeah. satisfactory level of confidence yeah. is quite useful. 100% yeah. agree. Um, okay, so how does your role differ, you know, as a tax manager at DP World, a large organisation, you know, presence all across the world, over 100,000 employees. How does that role differ to your current role? Of course, now you are <laughs> responsible for tax for yeah. Dubizel Group. So the number one man in charge of tax. Um, so how does that role differ and, yeah. you know, the day-to-day work that you're involved in? So in terms of uh, team, I came into Dubizel Group as tax person number one. So really I was on my own at the start. Um, A lot of the tax work to date had been very capably dealt with by the finance team, but 
obviously their resources were becoming more and more stretched mm -hmm. and they d decided they needed to actually build a tax team okay. to to address the the growing business um and and you know in hindsight that was a challenge i was i was surrounded by a tax team in dp world we had five of us i think now that i've left the the business has continued to grow and they have mm -hmm. seven or eight um but we had five of us when i was there and you know that gives you a nice safety net uh, mm -hmm. you, you don't have to know everything yeah uh, you don't have to deliver everything yourself you can share it and you can collaborate and you have the support of a boss who's kind of got your back mm. um so then moving in moving to a head of tax role uh, the kind of buck stops with me on tax exactly. i remember in my first few months i had questions coming to me about things i that i considered not to be my specialism you know like very technical aspects of vat mm -hmm. you know i never worked in vat um in the big four uh, although you naturally have a an understanding mm -hmm. of the principles um but moving to a tech company and being asked technical vat vat questions in relation to a tech business that was challenging you know and i had to you know there was a bit of a imposter syndrome at yeah. first just slightly um where i kind of had to find the answer very quickly and i and I remember kind of drawing on my network, you know, of, of colleagues and yeah. friends in Dubai, people who worked in VAT teams in Big Four and just WhatsApping them, you know, I know you're not, I'm not charging, you're not charging me for it, yeah. but can I ask you this, this technical question? What's your opinion on it? Um, so there was a bit of that at first, but I think, um, you know, slowly but surely I found my feet. Um, I, I then recruited um, to build my team. Mm -hmm. And that takes the pressure off a little bit. Yeah. And look, I also have a great um, selection of people around me in management at the uh, Bizzle Group. So, um, you know, my boss is the, the CFO and he's always got my back as well. You know, mm -hmm. I don't feel any pressure or any kind of um, feeling of being thrown under the bus on tax okay. issues, even if it's a big deal. Mm -hmm. um, I don't feel like I'm ever isolated uh, it's a team thing mm -hmm. if the if the business has a a tax problem that arises then it's a a business problem it's not a Stuart problem yeah um well it's my problem to fix it but it's not a, my fault you know yeah and so that's really nice and I think I felt that at DP world as well okay good I think uh the interesting thing that you just mentioned is that you have your CFO on side um and recently we attended the golf tax day and there was a lot of uh, talk around getting management buy-in um, from your internal stakeholders. So tax is, in some companies, not all, still not you know brought forward um, at the decision-making table mm -hmm. uh, when it comes to operations, um, which is really interesting. Obviously, from a chartered accountancy background, I understand the importance of tax in business. Mm -hmm. And it's just, even some people say, even finance, it's sometimes not considered straight away when a company's making certain business decisions, which just mind boggling to me. And the fact that tax also like heads of tax and some businesses are still trying to get management buy in into structuring the business a certain way. It's yeah. really interesting. So you're in a really fortunate position where you do have your management on board with the importance of tax. Yeah, I think I, th I think that's a really good point. And there's kind of two things there. There's there's being visible in the business 
Um, so it, it goes back again to having that kind of level of confidence to make sure that the business knows that you as a tax function are there, mm -hmm. that you're a, a business partner of sorts yeah. to them, that they can um, they can tell you about things that are perhaps considered somewhat confidential. Mm -hmm. They can invite you to things, to meetings, to discussions about new plans and get your input. Um, and they can come to you essentially whenever with a tax question um, and you will be there to support the business. Mm -hmm. So that's really important. Um, but the other challenge is, of course, there was no tax in the UAE previously, even before VAT. Um, and many business decisions were made without even thinking about tax because why? Why They didn't have to. Didn't have to. Yeah. And even, you know, very basic things like uh, moving assets between companies or moving shares or, um, you know, receiving, paying dividends, simple stuff, giving loans were done very easily before because there was nothing to think about on the tax side of things. So that now it's become very critical with corporate tax in the UAE for everyone to be aware that a very simple transaction in business could have, if not a tax implication, then at least a tax consideration. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even if you conclude, you look at it and conclude there's nothing to worry about, that's still a piece of work, a piece of analysis that's been done, it's been documented, it's put on file, and you might be asked about it later by your auditors. You might sell your business and go through a due diligence and have to explain about what was the tax uh, implications and conclusion on that transaction that happened two, three years ago. Mm -hmm. And you kind of have to be able to do that. So putting yourself out there now, making sure that tax has a seat at the table um, in all the kind of strategic decisions of the business, you know, I think it's very important. It's a very difficult thing to do. I think all in-house tax people, certainly the ones we spoke to at Gulf Tax Day uh, a few weeks ago and, 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 and my kind of network, I'm speaking to them. It, it's a very challenging thing to do because on top of your kind of day-to-day -day management of everything tax-related, mm -hmm. you're also trying to kind of change minds and change opinions. Yeah. And in another country, in a, in a developed tax system, those, those minds are already there, yeah. you know. You don't have to add that to the to the repertoire. But I think, you know, having that in mind, that's <laughs> really good for candidates going into interviews, having that understanding that tax might not be fully appreciated um, on when you're going for your interviews yeah. or whoever you're speaking to. Um, and having, ha do you, because when you're in consultancy, you're you're asked for the advice. So you do your job, you give the advice yeah. to, you know, what you've been paid to, uh, you know provide your advice on something but when you are on the other side you either have the tax knowledge yourself or you do seek uh, assistance from a consultancy on certain pieces of advice um, but then what you do with that advice or you know how it's interpreted or taken forward internally yeah. that's another challenge yeah. um, so not all candidates realize that um, especially if they are from other parts of the world and it works differently from where they're where they're from yeah so having that personality being likable being able to build internal stakeholder relationships is really really key putting your argument across or being able to explain or present the situation the scenario um, is a really 
key uh, skill or personality trait or soft skill yeah. that a candidate should be looking to build or have um, or present when they are going for an interview. I think that that's a really important thing about moving in-house from um, being, in that, being an advisor is if, if, for example, I ask a big four to give me a piece of advice and they prepare a, sorry, prepare a report, um, I have to understand kind of every inch of that report before I talk to CFO or mm -hmm. CEO or someone else who's, yeah. who's making decisions about um, things because inevitably, if I don't understand every inch of that report or at least be aware of what's in it, the CEO will absolutely pick out the question that I, that I don't know. It was kind of the same for me in PwC. Like I remember um, having to, to learn about something or to write a report for a client. And I always knew that the partner would pick the thing that I didn't know that enough about. It's always the case. And it's the same in-house. So if, if, if the big four write me a report, I have to have gone through it. I have to have challenged them back. I have to kind of just use my own um, kind of sense of awareness in reading that report as, mm -hmm. a, as a lay person. And if something doesn't make sense, I have to go back and challenge and, and, and get it absolutely crystal clear for myself mm -hmm. because then it will be absolutely crystal clear for the CFO. Yeah. And, you know, you, you do have to have a skill in, in terms of being able to take something that's maybe quite technical and distill it down and give a gist of the issue and a recommendation mm -hmm. to the decision maker. So that's a really important in-house skill um, that you've touched on. And, you know, I remember being in the profession and you're kind of not aware of that side of being in-house. You, mm -hmm. you do your technical report and you're really proud of it. And maybe you're proud of the number of pages it has or, or how fancy the wording that you've used is. Um, but if the client doesn't understand it yeah. or it's not practical in terms of its recommendations, then maybe it's not as good as you thought it was. So yeah. being in-house, you kind of, you, you get that other side of things and you, you realise that all of this work that's done on tax advisory, it's, it's really about making practical decisions. Did you know that tax candidates are more open to going back from industry to consultancy than another field um and i found that really interesting actually because usually when people leave consultancy they never look back or they never want to go back yeah um but interestingly a few candidates have made the decision to go back to consultancy because they miss the different uh technical uh issues or requests that a variety of different clients and industries come up with and they can uh, broaden their tax knowledge and advise on different issues whereas in-house um, they don't see they don't experience or feel the same way which I found really interesting um, so my question to you is would you ever consider going back into a consultancy role um, we could do a whole podcast on that I think <laughs> it's a really there's a lot of things to think about yeah and you know it's true that when you move in-house, things, I guess, can become a bit stagnant. Mm -hmm. If it's the same business that's not growing, not going into new markets, not developing new products or new services, um, and it's just, it's doing well, but it's doing the same thing. And so you go through this annual cycle of tax reporting, tax compliance, yeah. transfer pricing documentation, maybe occasionally a few questions on invoicing or uh 
a loan or a dividend or financing or something. But it can become quite samey, but that's very much driven by the, the nature of the business that you're in. And if that's not, some people are very happy with that. Mm. Um, I've known people through my career who they want that stability in their job. They want to be very good at it and they mm. are very good at it, but, and they don't want it to be changing yeah. uh, too much. Um, they want to go home at the end of the day, knowing that they've done what they planned to do that day and they go home to their families and they're, they're very pleased about that situation. So those roles are suitable for some people, but, but yeah, if you're someone who's kind of craving new development experiences, um, the big four does provide that, but Equally, also, so does moving to another in-house role because you can, as soon as you go into any new business, there's that that honeymoon period of mm-hmm. the first week where you're getting to know everyone and yeah. getting to know the, the way things work and, and what the business does in more detail. Um, and then you kind of create a plan for the next, say, 90 days of how are you going to make the tax function better yeah if, if there's not one how are you going to build one and if there's already a tax function what are you going to do what are you going to bring and that that's exciting that that was exciting when I moved to Debizzle mm-hmm. um I had a kind of blank canvas of how I wanted the tax function to look um and I would I would implore anyone who moves in-house to kind of almost t- to use kind of like finance terminology you do like a due diligence yeah of the tax layout when you land, uh, you know, is there compliance failures? Is there transfer pricing documentation in place? Is there a policy for transfer pricing, for managing tax, mm-hmm. for tax risks, um, for tax reporting? Is is anything in place? And kind of make that roadmap of what you want yeah. to end up with. And that's you've got your diary sorted for the first six to nine months. Mm-hmm. Um, in putting all that stuff in place. And that, that was really exciting to do at Debizzle. So the answer, I think, in short is no, you wouldn't go back to consultancy. Yeah, uh, yeah, that was the question. Um, you know, everyone who leaves consultancy, they're always like, I'm never going back. I never want to do a timesheet again. Um, I I didn't care about the timesheets. That wasn't a big deal for me. I, um, I liked consultancy. Mm-hmm. But I like the certainty of being in-house in terms of what my role is mm-hmm. and how much control I have over it. Because obviously in consultancy, you know, if five clients come at once and you're their guy and they want a piece of advice or they yeah. want you to do something, then you've got five projects at the same time and that can be very difficult to say, no, I can't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but in-house, you can plan your life a bit better. So... I'm a kind of never say never guy. I I, I might go back to consultancy. Um, it's not something that's on my mind right now, but I've still kept some good relationships. Um, obviously, I've generated some as an in-house tax person um, with with all the various consultants in the in the mm-hmm. region. Um, I'm like a never say never guy, but at the moment, I'm quite enjoying the in-house side of things. Good. Okay, so going back to your new role at Debizzle Group, um, so you went in and you have hired, or you've hired one or two people? Just one so one, far. One yeah. so far. Okay, so maybe you can talk us through the hiring process mm-hmm. um, and what you were looking for in a candidate when you were looking for somebody to join your team. I, I go back to that kind of assessment when I came in. Um, 
I think I looked at, you know, what the business did and where the kind of tax crunch points were. And then I went out to look for a team that filled those gaps. Mm -hmm. I mean, those might have been gaps in terms of resource. So we just don't have enough time or people to do a certain thing. Or gaps in knowledge, um, which I admit to having myself. You know, no one can know everything about everything about tax. Um, So whether that was I needed someone to know more about Saudi tax or maybe I needed someone to know more about VAT. I kind of went out looking for the specialism first uh, and then the person hopefully followed. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my case, it did. Yeah. So that was the starting point. Um, you know, there's various in-house hurdles that you go through to recruit a new person. Okay. So, you you know, you, you get sign off from the immediate people above you. You get sign off from HR. You agree a budget. You agree a, a, a specification for the, for the role. Mm-hmm. Um, and then luckily we have a great HR team mm-hmm. at Dubizzle who kind of then take that forward and publish the job um, and will even do as much as the full vetting of all the, the applications and whatnot. So we actually have a very good system um, called uh, Workable, if I'm allowed okay. to say names of things. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's called fine. Workable. Yeah. So this... this um, links with LinkedIn. So when the job is posted on LinkedIn and mm-hmm. someone applies, then their responses come straight into this um, software service called okay. Workable. Okay. And that kind of gives you a portal to be able to just very easily screen and look at all the different candidates who mm-hmm. have shown an interest in, in your role. Um, so having that was firstly a, a, a real time saver um, mm-hmm. and it also makes it much more efficient. Um, because as a candidate, you know, you apply for a role and you don't want to wait six weeks or two months to hear back. Even if you've got an interview, you want to, you want the process to move quite quickly. And that's true on both sides. The candidate wants to move quickly, but me as a hiring manager, I also want to fill the role as soon as I can, because inevitably with, especially with more senior tax people, you will have a, a notice period. Sometimes that can be up to three months. It usually is with tax professionals that we're finding. It is three months. Yeah. And then, you know, you, so once you've done the process of recruiting and they've signed, you've got another three months to wait. Um, So you really want to get that first part done as quickly as you can. Um, Being in a kind of youngish tech company, we've Mm -hmm. we've taken that quite seriously. Like we are recruiting and expanding quite rapidly. Mm -hmm. So we do... We, we don't try to hang around on the recruitment process if we can help it. Um, so I, I kind of um, took in the candidate applications and, and took a more active role. Mm-hmm. Instead of sort of leaving it to HR, I took a more of an active role to look for the type of person that I was mm-hmm. really looking for. Because I think when you, when you see someone's skills and experience, you can quite quickly tell if they will be suitable and, and a good fit. Um, so we went through that process um, and I think the question you asked me was what am I looking for from a candidate? Just out of interest, how many applications did you get? Um, for a tax manager, I've got about 1,300 to 1,400 wow. applications. And you went through all of them? Yeah. <laughs> some some of them were quickly discarded. I mean, it's a funny one and I, I, I did a lot of thinking about this Um you know, you advertise for a tax manager role and sometimes someone with no experience in even tax applies. Yeah. And I kind of, you know, philosophized about it and thought, is this because 
there's such a desperation amongst some candidates for a role? Mm-hmm. Or is it um, genuine belief that they could transition from sometimes not even accounting, you know, they can transition from um, project management into tax or something. Um, so is there is there like a naivety amongst candidates? I don't, I don't really have a firm answer and I'm, and I'm sure you guys have thought about it as well. We get that all the time, but that's why, you know, we're paid to do our jobs. We, yeah. we have to filter out these candidates and really find the skill set that the client's looking for, yeah. which saves a lot of time. Um, but it's nice in this scenario that you were willing to put the time in because, you know, it's the first time you went into a head of tax role and you really wanted to find the right candidate for yourself. Mm-hmm. So not everybody has the luxury of time or HR might have multiple roles that they're working on and tax might be a new role for them. Um, so it's easier just to outsource this to a specialised recruiter like yeah. ourselves. Yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely we have to Filter. do a lot of this filtering. Yeah. Um yeah and that is what it is and you know i I wouldn't want to say to anyone like don't chase your dreams if you if you are working in audit and you want to work in tax like you know there is you should absolutely go for it Mm -hmm. um but some degree of realism in in you know you can't be a tax manager if you've never done tax Mm -hmm. okay but you can be a tax intern or you can be a tax you know, associate and to, to, to get moving up that ladder um, of, of, of experience. So the first thing I would see in, in recruiting is someone, it's probably someone's LinkedIn mm-hmm. bio. Um, and then the second thing I would see would be their CV. So the, the filtering part I would probably do on the LinkedIn bio. Um, so I would, my, my advice would be to make sure your LinkedIn is, is looking presentable, yeah. it's accurate. Um, it's got what you want it to have on it, whether that's in the, you know, the snapshot bio, you want to mm-hmm. say something about yourself um, or whether it's in the, the experience of your employers or, or certain skills or qualifications that you have. Make sure that's on. I checked LinkedIn. yours yesterday. Thanks. Cheers. Yeah, it's good. Profile. <laughs> um, and don't overdo it on LinkedIn. I think there's a, a habit developing um to kind of overdo it, especially in the the title bar of your of your profile about X this, X that, yep. X this. And like, well, I don't know how I feel about that. I, I, I think there, there can be a pride, you know, X McKinsey or X um, Uber is, you, uh, clearly you have a certain pride about that, but it is X and it's in your experience anyway. Yeah. So maybe be more forward thinking in your title on LinkedIn in terms of what you are as a person or what you want um, to be or tax manager, tax director, tax assistant manager, just make it just simple. Um, So that's, that's the first thing I see. And, you know, being overzealous on your LinkedIn um, can, can kind of put a hiring manager off sometimes. Uh, And then CV wise, I mean, I've looked at so many CVs in my life and they've made me question my own CV occasionally and um, challenge me on, on how does my CV come across. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you, and, and I know you, you will feel the same way, I've seen some shocking CVs and I've seen some very, very good, very well presented CVs mm-hmm. and there is tons of information out there on how to do a good CV. Mm-hmm. There's tons of science and psychology on how to do a good CV. You know, many senior, senior people 
will be able to look at someone's CV and know within 10 seconds, maybe even five seconds, if they're going to hire that person. And that, and I, and I, I hope and I'm sure to a large extent that that's not about unconscious bias. That's mm-hmm. about the presentation of the CV, yeah. the, the font even. Um, so if you feel that that's not your niche uh, of, of doing things in a way that's stylish or clear, get help with your CV. Yeah. Go to a, a CV writer or service or ask your friends or ask your colleagues um, to give you kind of genuine constructive feedback on your CV mm-hmm. and really try to get that popping, you know, because if it's five pages, no. If mm-hmm. it's half a page, no. If it's um, got spelling mistakes, grammar mistakes, yeah. no. Um, I really look for a well-presented CV in all of those areas because that translates into how they present themselves at work. Um, How is their written emails, letters, presentations can all be kind of linked back to how their CV is presented. Because if you've spent three weeks working on your CV then and it's not good, then Mm. you could spend an hour on a letter and it would definitely not be good. (laughs) So um, it sounds harsh, but I think it's common sense. Yeah. I know. What do you think about CVs? No, I agree. Um, but if, if a CV comes to us, when we share the CVs with our clients, they are formatted internally. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I have to double check, you know, that everything that I want the candidate to have on their CV is stated. Um, there are cases where they have their current roles listed, mm-hmm. but there's just the title of their previous roles, but we need to understand what you did in your previous roles as well. Yeah. Um, or just titles. And is that a kind of filter for unconscious bias, like to, to, to format them all the same so that it's more about the experience than about exactly. the presentation? Yeah. Um, someone can pay someone to write a CV for them. True. Usually if, if we're sending a candidate, we don't send hundreds of CVs. We send, we send five. Yeah. Um, and we've done the filtering process. Well, so. you'll have had a conversation with that person. Exactly. So that's really where you're informed about yeah. their so I, I'm not, to be honest, me personally, I'm not too fussed about the CV because yeah. the client has come to us for a reason. They trust our uh, opinion or trust our choices of candidates that we're sending across. So I wouldn't put a candidate forward for a process that I don't genuinely think would be suitable exactly. for the role. And I'm comfortable putting that candidate in front of my client. Yeah. Um, so I'm not overly fussed about the CV. It's but not the... F- you're adding, definitely adding that value. Yeah. And that's that's clear, I think. Yeah. I think when, when a candidate's applying directly, like this is something to think about. Yeah. Um, but you're absolutely right. I mean, you've you, you've pre-interviewed exactly. the people that you're but putting forward. I, saying that I can't put a CV forward, which is shockingly bad yeah. because my client's going to say, how can you send this to me? Yeah. I trust that the candidates I put forward would have a good CV. Yeah. But we format it, I guess, yeah, we have certain information that we put across admin details on all our CVs. And yeah, just to keep everything, you know, the same. Level playing field. Yeah, exactly. There's no, oh, this colour stood out on this CV rather than this (laughs) one or the photo. We we take all photos out, by the way. Um, We have details such as date of birth, their gender, marital status, which is all common to put on a CV in the UAE, in this part of the world. Yeah. but photos we don't have. Yeah. Um, if the client wants to see what the candidate looks like, they can have a look on LinkedIn themselves. Um, yeah. And don't put your home address and your phone number. No, <laughs> we take that out. I see that often. 
people know you say no i think that's but quite common it's having common. a phone number yeah a phone number, well of course an email or a phone number yeah but your home address is a bit oh yeah a bit, a bit personal <laughs> okay good so you went through 1300 applications and how did you narrow it down um and then once you narrowed yeah. it down what was the interview process like so yeah so i think making that process quick as i said before is important so that you can not lose the good ones you know mm-hmm. by taking too long um you know like i said i narrowed it down based on specialism what area of tax had they been working in uh, i was particularly looking for someone who had a VAT background, but who was, you know, a chartered accountant by qualification Mm -hmm. so that they could develop from pure VAT into more of a rounded group tax person. So taking on direct taxes, tax risks, tax reporting, um, even potentially M&A and structuring and things like that. So I wanted someone who had the the skills in terms of education and the experience of VAT. Okay. So that's really where my filter was going and I, I filtered it down to, I don't know, 10 or 15 people and then slept on it and then went back to the same 10 or 15 and looked at them again and sort of challenged myself a bit more um, and filtered it down again to maybe five. And then I then passed that back to the HR team to go and have an initial call with each of them. Okay. And, 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 and so any, any kind of bias or motivations I had in choosing those five were kind of taken away by giving it to HR mm-hmm. to then do their chats. Mm-hmm. So HR came back and said, look, all five are, all five are good. Okay. So I had to either decide to interview all five or narrow it down again. Um, I think I en- ended up interviewing three. Mm-hmm. And I think in the first interviews, it, it's, you know, if I had a team of 10 people, um, that first interview can go really well. It can go averagely. It doesn't really matter. It That person will be interviewed by more people and, and you will get a feeling. But because I was recruiting the first person, you, you feel very quickly if you click and yeah. if, if it's just two of you, you have to click, yeah. you know, you have to um, be able to work well together and know that, you know, whether you trust that person or you can see yourself leaving that person if, if effectively in charge while you are on holiday or yeah. if you're off for some time, um, you know, having been in the business, you know who the characters are that you deal with, you know, the CEO or the CFO or the legal counsel or whoever it is, you have to imagine, okay, can I let that person go and give a presentation to mm-hmm. the CFO? Do I feel that this is the type of person um, that I'm interviewing? And and so you, you think about these things as you interview and and for me it was it was it was quite clear, quite quick. Mm-hmm. We we chose someone uh, and again we I, I go, keep going back to it but we we moved quickly. Um and tried to sh- tried to show that kind of best practice in recruiting of moving quickly, um, being transparent, letting them know what's happening. Um, it says a lot about a company when things are moving quickly, which yeah, it's not always the case. Yeah. yeah, and 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 then for the ones who had, I mean, obviously we we can't give a personal reply to thirteen hundred. Yeah, but for the ones who made it to a next stage you know, we, we, we try to give a personal response. Um, 
uh, and sometimes that's very difficult because there's no particular reason. Like yeah. they're, they're, everyone's a good candidate to some extent, um, but just you know there was another candidate who felt like a better fit. Yeah. Is sometimes just honesty is the best policy, right? Yeah. Um, there's nothing you did, you know. Um, so we we just moved along with that, and 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 that was that. So okay. quite a, a good process. Okay. But, but sometimes that doesn't happen, you know. We have other roles that we've tried to fill in the wider finance team outside of tax, where <clears throat> that internal process hasn't worked, and we've had to find someone more specialised, mm -hmm. like yourself, mm -hmm. to go out there and really dig a bit deeper for the right candidate. Yeah. Um, and I can see that happening in the future for me. I'm sure it will happen. The, 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 the market for jobs is interesting at the moment. I mean, there's a huge demand for accounting and tax jobs, like we've spoken about that before. Mm -hmm. um, and there's also a huge pool of candidates looking for jobs. Yeah. 1,300 applications, you know, for almost every job that goes live. Um, but for some reason, you know, there's still a bit of a disconnect, you know, whether candidates aren't bringing to the table what employers are looking for or whether employers are just being too selective. Mm -hmm. They're saying, I only want a big four yeah. qualified person. And my my question to them would be, why? Why do you only want a big four qualified yeah. person? Just because every other job profile has said it before. Yeah. I, I don't believe in that, yeah. that you'd have to be big four trained to have a, I know. a good job. Um, so maybe there's some movement to be done on both the recruit, the, the employer and the candidates mm. side to kind of join up this mismatch between tons of candidates and tons of jobs. Yeah. yeah. It's funny you say that because I am actually recruiting a role right now. It's not a tax role. And the requirements were somebody from the big four. Mm -hmm. And I have presented mm. candidates from the big four. But then this candidate just you know, added me on LinkedIn, I accepted them. And I looked at their profile. And I thought, you've done exactly what my client wants, but you don't have big four. But I'm just going to add you in yep. anyway, and yep. see what happens. There's no harm. And I, I know that you've done the right, you know, work previously. And that candidate is now the preferred candidate in the interview process. And it's because the can the client trusted you know, me when I said, I think you should just meet with him. Mm -hmm. um, and yesterday I had a call with the client and they've, you know, they thanked me saying, thank you for pushing us on meeting him. We, He actually is spot on. So definitely I think clients should be a bit more open-minded. Um, don't just say you want X, Y, Z when yeah. there could be a perfect candidate out there that, you know, you weren't expecting. Yeah, I think the, the world's changing to some extent uh, on that sort of stuff and just saying... Um, Various things, because that's what's always been said. Um, I think as well, I've seen often it, it, over the years is um, employers being too optimistic in terms of years of experience or, you know, looking for a manager who's got 15 years of experience. Well, I mean, that person's a director or a head of tax. If you have 15 years, yep. um, you, you have to be realistic. And sometimes you know, it, it just comes down to the candidate, right? Because sometimes you've got someone who might have just four years experience, but they're just extremely good. Mm -hmm. And you'd be a, a, a fool to pass them by just because you want seven years experience. 
Well, this quite this ties in quite nicely with um, you know understanding why you think you got the role at Dubizzle when you'd come from DP world because usually when clients come to us they want somebody from the same industry, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of like a plug and play mm-hmm. candidate, somebody who knows inside out all about the the industry. Um, so how why do you think you got the role at Dubizzle? Um, I know you've got the likability factor, Thanks. <laughs> um, but yeah, technology, it's, it's a new industry for you. So I think in tax, 80% of it doesn't matter mm-hmm. about the industry. Um, and someone's probably listening to this or watching this and thinking like he, he he's so wrong. But I think, let me explain what I mean is when you build a tax team and you have a tax function, like many of the things are common to any industry. Uh, there's tax reporting to your f- accounting guys. There is tax compliance, tax returns and paying tax. There is tax audits in different countries, uh, which we kind of put under the umbrella of tax risks. Um, and there's tax planning, structuring um, M&A activity, buying and selling assets or businesses. Um, that's all common stuff. So the the, the baseline knowledge translates i think across industries unless you get into something very niche like fintech or you know some something one of these more emerging um industries um so for me that move to the bizzle um i don't think moving from a a very industrial focused business to a technology business was a big deal to them it was more about whether they thought I could quickly get up to speed with what they do yeah. and how they do it and how they make money. Because ultimately that's, you know, how do you understand a business? You understand what it sells or what it provides. How does its revenue come in? You know, do people buy things in shops? Do mm-hmm. people take a subscription? Um, do you sell business to business? Do you sell packages? Do you sell one-off? Do you sell annual contracts? You know, if you can just understand quickly how the revenue comes in mm-hmm. and how the costs happen and where they happen, then you understand the business as an accountant, I think. So that was the 20% for me, was just un- just getting in the door, understanding who does what, what we do, where we do it. And my eyes were opened because all I knew was Beaut and Dubizzle in the UAE. I didn't really know until I dug a little deeper into the businesses that we have uh, across the GCC and the subcontinent. Um, and I sort of quickly, although I, I think everyone has an interest in tech these days, so I did have a, a reasonable interest in my spare time in tech. Um, but getting into the business side of tech and learning about user numbers and page views and, and how long someone spends on each page on our site and how they interact with our site, like learning all that stuff was kind of cool. Yeah. Um, and I think if you're a person who's interested to learn exactly. um, in what you're doing. And, you know, the more you learn about what you're doing, the better I think you are at it. Yeah. Um, if you're that type of person, then changing industry shouldn't be a problem. Good. So you heard it here first. Yeah. You know, those companies out there who are looking to hire a tax professional industry doesn't matter. Yeah, with caveats. <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay, great. So um, with Dubizzle being a tech company, And from our previous conversations, I know you are already using tax technology within the business, which is 
not so common um, in this part of the world. So maybe you can share, you know, some insights into the benefits you're experiencing using tax technology. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think, well, tax technology is the current, like, it's not a buzzword, it's buzzwords, but like it's the buzzwords of, yeah. of the tax community right now. Um, and that's not just in the UAE, that's, that's probably globally. I think all the big four, all the... Um, kind of software as a service providers are really buzzing about tax technology. Um, and the reason for that is I think we've reached a kind of critical stage where the finance function technology has really developed in the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. We've gone from kind of very old, um, let's say SAP or Hyperion type ERP systems to um, more advanced, um, you know, systems like Oracle, for example, where you're not just talking about a financial reporting system, you're talking about a full finance system covering financial reporting, management accounting, tax, budgeting, HR, headcount, salaries, the whole lot is all in one cube or sphere, if you will. Mm -hmm. And all that data is in there and all that data is just continually growing. And if you can kind of harness that data and manipulate it, you can use it for anything you need to use it for. So it can be a decision about the business, about the strategy of the business. You know, what's the trend of my revenue growth in Saudi? And if the, the kind of analysis you do on that says good things, you might put more resources into Saudi to grow the business. Well, the same can be said of tax. You know, you suddenly have access to all of your financial data. You don't have to go and email the financial controller and ask for a spreadsheet, you know, send me the trial balance for this company and blah, blah, blah. Like it's, it's all in a, a cloud, if you will. And by harnessing some form of tax technology, you can grab that data very quickly, manipulate it automatically and use it for whatever tax purposes you, you have. Um, and why is, why is that important from a, from an in-house tax person's point of view, uh, efficiency and speed. Mm -hmm. You can complete your reporting in January, you know, for year end, you can complete it in a few days instead of a few weeks. Um, you can produce your tax return for any entity, uh, maybe almost automatically, mm -hmm. maybe 70% automatically, and just do the finishing touches and submit it um, instead of what would previously happen, you know, you waited for the financial statements to be finished, you got a set of them, you opened up your tax computation spreadsheet or software and you started plugging in numbers and manually doing a bit of analysis and then scanning it and saving it so you've got a record of what you've done and then posting it off to the tax authority. All of that can be done now um, in, in a matter of hours. So the technology efficiencies for, for in-house guys and girls can be fantastic. But you have to also remember that the tax authorities are getting smarter. Yep. So with UAE corporate tax now in force and with VAT having been in force for um, five, seven years, wait, <laughs> 2017, 2018. Um, where did the time go? I don't know. So with, with that's all digital. We're submitting digitally now. I have no, uh, the, the full kind of filing system for UE corporate tax has not been um, 
unveiled yet. Mm-hmm. But I have no doubts that it will be electronic. You know, yeah. you will submit your accounts electronically. You will submit your tax return and your tax computation electronically. You might be submitting some kind of metadata electronically. And the tax return, the tax authority, sorry, will have that info in a same in a similar way that you have in-house in your tax technology reporting system. So they'll be able to also manipulate that data, benchmark that data, compare you, um, you know, I say like cut and shut that data in different ways and different mechanisms to understand you as a taxpayer and to identify anomalies in what your data says about your business. Um, So we should be conscious of that, that if we're not using tax technology, they will be. Mm-hmm. And that will put you, could put you like behind the curve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because if you asked me six months ago, you know, I don't think people were ready for tax technology. And um, when I was asking, you know, my tax network, they said, we're not, we're not quite there yet. But in the last week or so, I've heard it, you know, the buzzword has started to come to light, you know, yeah. tax technology is... It's, we're, we're getting ready for it now. I think, I think because maybe people, you know, it's not just a thing, tax technology, it's a whole spectrum of applications or um, support that you can put in your business. And as I said, a lot of finance functions have gone through that transformation from a manual paper-based or Excel-based finance function to using a, a more joined-up ERP. And very often the jump to add tax to that ERP is very small. And sometimes even the software provider provides tax for free. You don't have to pay like an extra license. You can just add the tax module. And as long as you implement it in the right way and you understand how it works, then, you know, hey presto, you have both a finance ERP that's functioning and now you have the tax add-on that leverages the data in the finance ERP. So I think people have kind of switched on to that a lot recently um but look tax technology doesn't have to be about you know expensive licenses or um expensive implementation um it, it it's just about you know realizing what's available to us now in our in our phones and our computers and and and, and various software online providers and thinking okay what are the parts of the tax function that are slow and boring and manual and monotonous and how can I use whatever technology is out there um, to kind of make that a faster, more enjoyable process? Definitely. We're, we're living in a digital world, so it's, we're going to have to get up to speed with tax technology sooner or later. So, OK, great. Thank we, you. We for still sharing love that. Excel, though. No, like. we still oh, love Excel. <laughs> um, OK, cool. So I think that kind of wraps up um, what I wanted to go through in terms of your your career journey and what's happening internally at Debizzle in terms of how you do things. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to ask you a few non-tax questions, if I can. Um, so what, what do you uh, love most about Dubai? Oh. Uh, you know, actually, I was thinking about this this morning driving here. And what I love about Dubai is that even after 10 years, like, you can still just suddenly be in a part of the city and be like wow this is insane yeah it's constantly changing it's con- i mean I, i'm we're used to it right yeah. we've been here for some time and we're just kind of used to the city and you know you see the burj khalifa and you're like oh, yeah it's the burj khalifa yeah. you might not even say anything because it's just there 
But like the other day, I had um, coffee with an advisor in DIFC. And I was just sitting in the coffee shop, just sort of looking up and looking around me and just thinking like, wow, this is insane. And Dubai, I think what I love about Dubai is that that, that continue, continually mm. happens. It can be in a very new part of Dubai with a very amazing uh, building, or it can be in a beautiful park that they've built and made for everyone to enjoy, or even it can be in the old part of Dubai by the creek. And you can just sit there and just be like, wow. Yeah, you and can it, never be bored in Dubai. Yeah. <laughs> so I like that. I like the, you know, I like the weather. I like the lifestyle. Yeah. Um, I like the people. That I've met. Yeah. It's a very diverse, multicultural city. Yeah. Um, you know, even my daughter comes home from school and says, you know, I was working today with so and so and so and so. And these names are just interesting names, yeah. right? And I'm like, where's she from? Where's he from? Because yeah. and everyone's from somewhere. Yeah. And that's really exciting. That's cool. Yeah. Um, okay, last question. If you weren't a tax professional, what would you be? <sighs> Oh, I don't know. I, when I was a teenager, I really wanted to be a pilot. Okay, cool. I wanted to be a pilot for British Airways. Nice. I even looked into it. I looked into um, the scholarship program that they offered and what the entry requirements were. And I think at the time I, I thought, I think I'd read something somewhere that they had 15,000 applications a year and they only took 200. And I thought, yeah. It's not going to happen. So I, I, I ditched that and I became an accountant and I became a tax professional. <laughs> um, so I guess I would like to be a pilot. Okay. But I like to cook as well. So maybe I'd like to be a chef. Ooh, what kind of food do you like to cook? You know, actually everything. I think I, I gravitate towards like Italian and French kind of European cooking. Yeah. Um, but I've, you know, I've been dabbling in Asian stuff. It, it's a whole different ball game, like cooking Asian food compared to cooking yeah. European food. But it's it's exciting, and there's lots of exciting ingredients and stuff. Yeah. So, so I still kind of have a little passion for cooking and a passion for aviation, as I'm busy doing my yeah. tax. <laughs> maybe a role for Emirates, not yeah. British Airways anymore. Emirates catering, maybe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Combine the both. Okay, great. So, thank you so much for coming on our tax podcast. Um, I hope the listeners found this useful, interesting, and um, they're ready for their interviews, their in-house interviews now. Um, I've got a small gift from the Alchemy oh, team as you. a small thank you. Wow. It's our famous hampers. So I'm just going to get up and give this uh, to fanta. you. I'm going to try and not move the microphone too much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Wow. Oh, sorry, thank Enjoy. you. Enjoy. Whoa. That's beautiful. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Um, thank you so much for the discussion. I enjoyed it. I didn't get to ask you many questions about That's you, but okay. 